This week's episode is brought to you by Big Bend Strength. Big Bend Strength is a training facility that focuses on lots of different things, but building strength through confidence. Um, they have tons of remote programs, including weightlifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding, and as well as custom remote programs. So things that'll fit whatever your needs are. Um, Big Bend Strength has competition winning athletes and a very friendly staff. Their website is bigbendsc.com. That's bigbendsc.com. Go over there, check out their website, look at their affordable prices, sign up for remote coaching. It's, it's super easy and, and it's a great investment. There's no investment quite like investing in your own strength and confidence. Beautifully said, Wyatt. New Thank year, you. new you. New year, new me. New year, new you as well, Brianna. Are you going to sign up for strength? Already did. And she's already stronger. I can see it. also known as 2019 NCOV. As of February 8, 2020, deaths in China have reached 811. The number of confirmed infections, 37,198. Most of these are in China, and this death toll surpasses the SARS death toll, which had killed 774 people between 2002 and 2003. The coronavirus originated in Wuhan, China, and became an issue of great concern towards the end of 2019. The virus most likely originated from an animal source, but now seems to be spreading from person to person. You can find frequently asked questions and answers on cdc.gov. Yeah, so we had a lot of requests for us talking about coronavirus and if that was going to intersect with climate change at all, like how climate change is going to affect the spread of coronavirus or the cause of coronavirus. Um, So we did some research into that and we're excited to talk about it. Also, this notably is... Brianna and I don't record in, in the same place because we don't live in the same city, but for this one, we're in the same room. Weird. And it's weird seeing each other and what we actually look like. Yeah, we don't prefer it. We don't. It's Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Let's dive right in, as Wyatt would say. Let's dive right in. So we're going to start with something called the back-legged tick. The back-legged tick is, for humans, a pretty dangerous bug because it can carry Lyme disease. There's some research out there done by Dr. Katie Clow, professor at Ontario Veterinary College. It looks into epidemiology of vector-borne diseases. So a vector-borne disease is something that humans can get and that is transferred through vectors, which is which can be mosquitoes, which can be rats, sometimes bats. There are a lot of different ways. It can also be ticks. The back-legged tick is an example of this. Dr. Clow has studied how climate change is gonna affect specifically the back-legged tick. And she knows that climate change is gonna have a huge influence on allowing it to expand its range into more temperate areas. So the warm period of the summers and springs will last longer. And so the back-legged tick's reproduction and ability to sustain that reproduction is based on having a climate that's warm enough for long enough. 
So the idea here is that with climate change coming around, these ticks are gonna like these, this warmer weather and they're gonna be able to sustain production more and potentially transmit more diseases, more viruses, and be more of a threat. And that's the simplest way of viewing this, but that seemingly straightforward like cause and effect of you know, more warm weather equals more transmission of diseases isn't the whole story. These bugs and these vectors, like any organism, will travel to where the weather suits it, like how birds migrate during the winter. They go to warmer climates. A lot of these vectors do the same thing. So mosquitoes are an example of a complicated vector in this in this particular study scenario um, mosquitoes can carry things like malaria dengue fever chikungunya and like west nile and there are a lot of studies out there that are trying to detect the mosquitoes range of living and therefore the range of disease transmission this article by rob jordan at the stanford woods institute for the environment utilizes models to see where exactly the mosquitoes range is now and where it'll be in an extreme climate scenario and a moderate climate scenario. And this is where it gets a little involved. Mosquitoes right now have a given range and, and mosquitoes have multiple genus within it. So some of them are more sensitive to heat than others. And that's a lot of where the complexity comes in. With the climate warming, some mosquitoes are going to enjoy that. Some mosquitoes are going to actually be limited by that. In the extreme scenario of like a tough climate change scenario, the mosquitoes will actually hit a point where their range expands and then decreases again. Essentially, the complexity of it is that it'll just change. And this article by Sadie Ryan brings up a good point that within the next century, nearly a billion people could face their first exposure to viral transmission from mosquitoes in the worst case scenario. And this will mainly happen in Europe and high elevation tropical and subtropical regions. This, and this is the part that's kind of weird, is that complete mitigation of climate change to pre-industrial baseline levels may protect almost a billion people from virus range expansions. However, middle of the road mitigation could produce the greatest expansion in the potential for viral transmission. So if climate change gets the worst it can possibly get, we will expand the mosquitoes range and then limit it again. But if we are middle of the road climate change scenario, we have only expanded the range of mosquitoes, which is so weird to think about. Um, and so where this kind of comes in with coronavirus, there's a lot of, I will admit this, there's limited research on this. So coronavirus is what's called a zoonotic disease, which means that it can go from basically animals to humans. And, and human to human. And why that's important is we don't really know what the host animal was for coronavirus, the, two, the 2019 coronavirus that's kind of emerging more and more now. But to kind of tie it in with climate change, there is evidence that change in weather can influence change in disease. Weather conditions like rain, humidity, flooding, and heat waves have well-documented effects on infectious diseases. Long periods of rain actually increase the opportunity for vector-borne diseases to spread. Think of standing water after rains, for example. That increases mosquito population. 
Longer seasons of warmer temperatures increase the likeliness of vectors to become infectious more quickly. Changes in precipitation can also increase the rodent population. So for example, in early 2000, an outbreak of an outbreak of hantavirus respiratory disease was linked to a local increase in the rodent population, which in turn was attributed to a two to threefold increase in rainfall before the outbreak. So if these animals are climate sensitive, that means the disease that they're spreading will also be climate sensitive. So there's a little bit of tie in there. It's not entirely like the science isn't very settled because also we don't know what the carrier was for coronavirus, but right. the research, like the possibility for research there very much exists. And in fact, the, the research should happen more and more because prevention is always better than reaction, you know? So let's talk about some of the barriers that obstruct the efforts to improve research in this area. For starters, the amount of large-scale geolocated and time-stamped disease data are actually limited. This is because privacy protections often require the aggregation of patient-related health data over large geographic regions. So basically, if more granular disease data could be collected while also protecting the privacy of individuals, research in this area would accelerate. Another barrier would be that researchers of infectious diseases need to collaborate more with computationally oriented investigators from other fields. Collaborations will be needed not only for analysis, but also for efforts to fuse data from multiple sources. Resources will be essential to support these data science-oriented investigations. Recent weather events and infectious diseases highlight the need for funding of environmental studies related to infectious diseases. Future work should focus on the mechanisms by which weather affects infectious diseases. This knowledge may increase the understanding of host and pathogen interactions. This is something called Project Drawdown, which is a project that lists climate change solutions, and not only lists, but sort of analyzes and puts them in a ranking of the amount of total CO2 that would be reduced, as well as the cost and savings. So I'm looking at the list. There's 80 of them, 80 total, which is quite a lot. Number one, refrigerant management. That's one that just that makes a lot of sense because refrigerating devices used to have CFCs and HCFCs, but then in the 1987 uh, Montreal Protocol, they were phased out and HFCs were used instead, which help with the ozone layer or, or rather don't hurt the ozone layer. They have a capacity to warm the atmosphere a lot more than carbon dioxide. And as we go down, there are things that we would sort of suspect like wind turbines, reduced food waste, plant-rich diet, tropical forest, like land use management. And then we have number six, which kind of threw me off. Not threw me off, but I was interested to see. Number six is educating girls. And, and here's their justification for that being number six. I don't, know, I don't know exactly how they would get the CO2 estimate for that, but they're they're saying that this is one powerful mechanism by which we can curb population growth because women with more years of education tend to have fewer and healthier children and actively manage their reproductive health oh yeah educated girls realize higher wages and greater upward mobility contributing to economic growth maternal mortality rates will drop um, less likely to marry as children or against their will 
lower incidences of HIV, AIDS, and malaria. Their agricultural plots are more productive and their families are better nourished. Um, Another argument that I've heard is that a lot of women, I think women do a majority of the world's farming. If you look at the numbers of it, it's something like 60% of farming is done by women. And if they're educated about climate change, the idea of them changing their practices or being more agriculturally sustainable um, could make a pretty big difference in climate change. And I think that's a really interesting lens to look at this through. Yeah, because, you know, when you said that, I immediately thought I thought educating women was just, you know, making their lives easier because they have less children. But then I thought, oh, yeah, like overpopulation. Yeah, that's a thing. The actual like actions that they suggest are making school more affordable, helping girls overcome health barriers, reduce time and distance to get to school and make schools more girl friendly. (laughs) <laughs> Which is not super concrete or hard science e, but making schools more girl-friendly could help. It could help climate change, if you think about it. It can and it will. It can and it will. And there's uh, this brings up an opportunity for me to talk about something that I do that I would like to sort of plug here for no reason other than that I think it's really cool. Uh, there is an organization that a friend of mine has started called Gifts for Confidence, and she goes to Ethiopia and has taught young women how to sew and create clothing people ordered online and then the money goes to their schooling so it's very specifically women being getting an education through like entrepreneurship really cool i would absolutely recommend going to giftsforconfidence.org buying scarves donating and yeah similarly brianna and i are starting to make coffee we are going to start producing a coffee that's a specialty coffee uh, specifically from Colombia. Talking to Felipe and both of us being involved in a lot of different like coffee culture spheres got us, <laughs> I don't know, got us interested in um, the idea of making a coffee and in- investing a little bit in like transparent agricultural practices, having like a sustainable product. Um, we're going to be getting the beans from Colombia and roasting them here in town in Tallahassee with a roaster called dream eater, putting them in jars, recyclable, reusable jars and selling them for y'all try to make some money to support no planet B. And we're very, very excited for it. We'll get those on our Instagram and our website as well. What's the other thing? Oh, so we're also getting no planet B is about to have a website where we are excited to feature writers um, yes. Writers Need writing those. about, gotta have writers. Yeah. Um, environmental topics, research, um, environmental experience. We are like accepting applications for people who want to write for this, for our news articles on noplanetb.com. A lot of student writers are going to be joining us. So we'll have a feed of articles coming in soon. And that's also exciting. Um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram <laughs> at, at noplanetbcast. Uh, on Twitter as the same name. If you have questions for us, email us at noplanetbfsu at gmail.com. And yeah, stay tuned for our Bumble BFF account to come out soon because that'll be here. That'll be a good way for us to network, I think, as a podcast. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great rest of your... Uncomfortable silence. Uncomfortable silence.